We're in week three through a series on the Exodus, where the overarching theme of the Exodus is that of redemption. Redemption might be viewed simply as just a, a simple explanation of how Jesus frees us, of how he saves us, he redeems us. And there's, we've mentioned there's kind of three themes to that that we'll see uh, and pull out each week as we move through the, through the text. Uh, first being that, excuse me, of deliverance. Redemption is deliverance, where uh, God frees his people from bondage of slavery in Egypt. And Jesus frees his people and those who trust him from the bondage and slavery of sin. So, so redemption is deliverance. Redemption is also ransom where there was a price paid to free God's people. And Jesus, of course, obviously paid a price to free us by enduring the wrath that we deserved on the cross in our place. And then finally, deliverance, ransom, and renewal. Jesus makes us new. And he's renewing his covenant with Abraham, with the people in Exodus of, of, of taking them to the land that he had promised their ancestor Abraham. Friends, this is how Jesus saves us. He redeems us. And it's how God saved his people in the Exodus. In fact, the Exodus could be said is the defining act of salvation in the Old Testament. Sometimes you might think, oh, the Old Testament, I don't need to read that. No, I'm telling you, the Old Testament totally informs the new. And in the Old Testament, the Exodus the parting of the Red Sea, the freeing of God's people. It, it is the, uh, it's the defining act of salvation in the Old Testament, bar none, even to Jewish people today. It speaks directly and points directly to the work of Jesus on the cross. So, so far, we've kind of just covered some introductory things in our series. And today we're gonna continue that by introducing the secondary protagonist in the story. In other words, the secondary hero. Why do I say secondary hero? I'm talking about Moses, by the way. Because the primary hero of the story, who's he? It's God, yeah, it's God. And so Moses is actually just the secondary hero of the story. And we're gonna get introduced to him today. We're gonna talk about him a little bit and uh, move through the text. But before we do, let me pray. And then uh, we're gonna dive in. We're gonna start in the middle of Exodus chapter one. Let me pray. Father, thanks for Jesus. Thanks for your grace to us. Thanks for the example you give us in uh, Moses and in the Exodus that uh, Jesus, this was your plan to free and redeem your people even from the very beginning. And we know that as we trust you, no matter how dire circumstances might seem in life or in the world, your plans cannot be thwarted. And I think we'll see that this morning, even in the text. So uh, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would come teach us more about uh, who you are, uh, who, who Jesus is, and uh, help us to become more like him. Help us to trust him more. I pray against the enemy, his servants, their works and effects. He'd take your word and twist it or cause us uh, to be distracted or to not believe. But instead, Holy Spirit, do your work and change us. We pray all this in the power of Jesus. And all God's people said, amen. So we're in Exodus chapter one. And we're kind of picking up where we left off last week. We ended with verse 14 and we're gonna pick up in the midst of this story in verse 15. And what I want you to see right away this morning is that in the face of affliction, we talked about affliction last Sunday, right? In the face of affliction, which is just anything that can cause significant suffering or pain in your life, in the face of it, trust Jesus. That's the right response. Trust Jesus, hold on and trust him. 
Now let's keep reading and see if we see that in the text. Exodus 1 verse 15 starts out like this. It says, then the king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives. So let's just start with the first word, then. Uh, He's He's picking up the story of what, where we were at last week. The king of Egypt is Pharaoh. And Pharaoh, just to give you a background again of what we covered last Sunday, was he was afraid of this ginormous migrant population on the north side of his kingdom. A large group uh, of Israelites that had migrated into that area have now expanded in number and they've become a threat to him in his fear. And so in his fear, he's deciding he's going to afflict them. He's going to lay heavy burdens on them of slavery. He's going to oppress them with hopes that they would dwindle in number. He's, he's afraid that they're going to increase so much that they're going to overtake the way of life of all the Egyptians. And, and they're going to come in. And when it comes to war, they're, they're just going to conquer them. And there's no hope for the Egyptians and for their people. And so Pharaoh leads this charge and soon the entire nation of Egypt is, is part of this and they begin afflicting the Israelites. And while they hoped they would decrease in number, God in his sovereignty, guess what happens? The opposite happens. He causes them to increase in number. So Pharaoh continues to up his game and to afflict him more. And, and Friends, this is exactly what happens when somebody starts to make strides towards following Jesus. Some of you have experienced this. Something happens to where there's a, there's a ray of hope and, and maybe you take a step or a couple steps forward towards that hope. And then uh, there's an enemy though, who doesn't wanna see you trust Jesus or if you have trusted Jesus, certainly doesn't want your life to be one that's honoring to him. So he causes you to doubt, he, he afflicts you with heavy burdens. And uh, for, it seems like sometimes for every step forward, there's like this extra burden that's thrown back on you to push you back. You ever feel that? It's a, it's a pattern we see in Exodus and it's a pattern we see in people trusting Jesus spiritually in general. You're gonna see it this morning. See, so it says in verse 15, the king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, one of whom was named Shifra and the other Pua." Another time just to stop briefly here. Pharaoh is never mentioned by name, only by title, either as the king of Egypt or as Pharaoh, which is his title. It means king. And so there's, some, there's even a little bit of doubt among a lot of scholars of what exactly was the date of the Exodus, because there's a couple different pharaohs that match the description of what happens here. And so there's not a complete certainty of what the exact date in time was. Why? because he was never mentioned by name. This guy who wanted to build his kingdom and build up his name never gets remembered by name. Isn't that incredible? Yet who does get remembered by name? Shifra and Pua. These two slave women get remembered by name in the text. Why? Well, let's keep reading and find out why. He goes on, Pharaoh told these ladies, he said, when you serve as midwife to the Hebrew women, And see them on the birth stool. If it's a son, you shall kill him. But if it's a daughter, she shall live. So now the fear of this foreign people has grown even further. From fear to oppression, now to murder and infanticide. It's curious, if you look back at World War II, 
the way that the Nazis gradually placed more and more restrictive and then oppressive and then finally mortal structures on the Jewish people, gypsies, and other internal enemies during the period from 1937 to 1945 very much mirrors what Pharaoh does here with the Israelites. It just continues to amp up. And now it's grown to murder. Let's murder all the boys who are born. Now, why the boys? Well, because they would be the ones who would grow up to fight in the war. And that was the declared reason publicly for why this growing population was a threat. So it was the boys who would be killed. But look at verse 17. In the face of this, look at these midwives. I think now we start to see why they're named by name and Pharaoh isn't. But the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them. But... They let the male children live. See, in the face of evil, there's a higher authority you can trust. And as you trust him, he blesses you. And he actually chooses, God actually chooses to work through those who trust him and fear him and not men. Even though in the moment, it's terrifying. Imagine if you're these two women who ultimately, I think, and I'll, I'll kind of explain why in a little bit, but I think they weren't the only two midwives of all the Hebrews, of all the Israelites, but I think they kind of oversaw all the midwives because there's later it's mentioned, she says, when the midwife comes. Um, so I think that's kind of more of probably who they are and when you look at the number of people. But ultimately they're remembered because even in the face of this evil, of this really ethical dilemma, they decided, you know what? Uh, what you're asking me to do, I know I'm to respect authority, but what you're asking me to do is in direct violation of what uh, my greatest authority, God, says to do. So I appeal to that authority and I reject yours. And that's, that's, that's the pattern of how we ought to live. And God honors that. He does that with these two women. Verse 18, so the king of Egypt, they, they decided they didn't do what he commanded. They let them live. Verse 18, the king of Egypt called the midwives. He said to them, why have you done this and let the male children live? The midwives said to Pharaoh, we don't know how much time has passed here either, by the way, if it's months or a couple years, who knows? The midwives said to Pharaoh, well, because the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, for they are vigorous and they give birth before the midwife comes to them. They're just, they're, they're, they're popping them out, Pharaoh. We, we don't know what to do. Now look at verse 20. It says, uh, so God dealt well with the midwives. And the people multiplied and grew very strong. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families. It appears that God blesses them for lying. How can that be? Doesn't that seem contrary to everything you've been taught? Like, tell the truth, don't lie. Well, uh, there's a couple, couple things maybe to think through here is that one, um, again, as I mentioned, I think the biggest thing, they're appealing to a higher authority. But in terms of lying, uh, it, it begs the question, is there an okay time to lie? It's a good question, isn't it? Well, in this case, uh, maybe they weren't lying, but they were certainly stretching the truth because maybe the Hebrew women were very vigorous in giving birth. Maybe if they were in charge of, of those under them, they said, when the midwife comes, the baby's already there. We can't do anything. Uh, maybe it is that, that they've instructed those who are under them, take your time, drag your feet on your way to go help these women. Maybe if you're in a position of authority, you have the opportunity to influence those under your authority with good, Right? Uh, maybe 
she, maybe Shifra and Pua warned all the Hebrew women, hey, if you're pregnant and you're about to give birth, do everything you can to give birth on your own. Don't call us for help, whatever you do. We don't know all the details. But what we do know is that these ladies feared God above Pharaoh. They feared God above people. And, and that's really the thing to take away here. And for us too, that we need to be fearers of God, not of men. Proverbs sixteen six says, by steadfast love and faithfulness, iniquity is atoned for. And by the fear of the Lord, that's how one turns away from evil. In the face of evil, fear God more. To fear him doesn't mean to be afraid of him. It means to respect him, to be afraid of the consequences for not obeying him to be in awe and uh, a respect of his power and his authority. Peter answered in Acts chapter five, he said, we must obey God rather than men when they were told to quit preaching the gospel. So nah, okay, I know that's what you say, but God actually told us to do this. So we're gonna keep preaching the gospel. You can pray for me that when, because uh, I think those days may be coming sooner than uh, we care to uh, admit in our own country that there'll be uh, fear and getting up to preach the gospel that I wouldn't be afraid, but I would do like Peter and obey God rather than men. Uh, you have other examples of people, uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I put those references in there for you to read on your own later. Uh, Rahab and Joshua too, that's maybe a better parallel because she lies about hiding the, the spies and she's blessed for that. Um, for, for obeying God rather than men. And she's actually becomes part of Jesus' genealogy. Like if you read Jesus' genealogy in Matthew, you find Rahab. And so the, the idea here is to fear God above men. Well, I mentioned that uh, over the course of redemption, often the enemy will ramp up his oppression. And we see that here now after his plan is thwarted in verse 22. So then Pharaoh commanded all of his people, not just the midwives, but everybody, all the Egyptians, every son that's born to the Hebrews, you shall cast into the Nile, but you shall let every daughter live. He ramps up his oppression. Well, what do you do when you try to do something that's right and honoring to God and it feels like you just get slapped in the face for it and it gets worse? You've probably never had that happen, have you? Never, no, yeah, that never happens. Well, I, I think Paul gives us a good word in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16. He says, so we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day for this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen for the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Paul says, listen, what's waiting for you, even though there's some affliction now and, and not to negate it, it's hard, but trust Jesus because in the end, that will so pale in comparison to his glory and to what awaits you. Keep going is what he says. Keep trusting. See, in the face of affliction, trust Jesus. Why? Because he is always working his plan. And he does have a plan, by the way. God does have a plan. Even when it seems like there's no plan, even when it seems like things are chaotic, he has a plan and he is working it. He is, I promise you. And the story of the midwives sets up the introductory then, introduction then of our secondary hero of Moses. 
So let's keep reading. Look at chapter two, verse one. It says, now a man from the house of Levi went and took as his wife, a Levite woman. And the house of Levi is just one of the, one of the tribes of the people of Israel. So uh, it's just telling us his family lineage. The woman conceived and she bore a son. And when she saw that he was a fine child, remember this is in the midst of Pharaoh's uh, declaration that all of the male children should be thrown into the river. This little boy's mom uh, decided to hide him. She hid him for three months. Never lose sight of the fact that these are real people. Those of you who are moms, who God's given that great, great blessing, imagine if this was you. After giving birth, you have to hide your new son because not just uh, a few people, but everybody in the land that you're living wants to steal that child and throw him into the river, throw him into Lake Wallace. What would that be like? What lengths would you go to to hide your son? Now you're feeling a little bit of what We find out this is Moses' mom is feeling. When she could hide him no longer, she took for him a basket made of bulrushes and dabbed it with bitumen and pitch. So in other words, she waterproofed it on the inside and she put the child in it and she placed it among the reeds by the riverbank. By the way, note, it doesn't say like in the Prince of Egypt, like he got shipped down the river and floated away. She just placed him on the edge in the reeds. She had a lot of faith just to do that, but I I don't discredit her for not just pushing him out into the river, do you? Because the Nile River is like the comparable for us would be the Mississippi River. You ever driven over the Mississippi? Well, the Nile is the largest river in the, in the world. The Mississippi is only the fourth largest. So it gives you an idea of how big this river is. And so she puts him in the reeds alongside the riverbank. And his sister, so he has an older sister, stood at a distance to know what would be done to him. Now, again, put yourself in this spot. If, if you're a family and you have uh, multiple children and one of them's a little older, maybe eight, nine, 10 years old, imagine them running and watching and kind of hiding, watching to see what's happening. What's gonna happen to her little brother? Now, the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river. Another person we're not given the name of. While her young women walked beside the river. She saw a basket among the reeds and sent her servant woman and she took it. When she opened it, she saw the child and behold, the baby was crying. She took pity on him and said, this is one of the Hebrews children. Notice that uh, Pharaoh's daughter takes pity on this young baby. It's true that God has wired into all of us a conscience of some sort. Now, for some, it's scarred and it's not to be trusted, but there is still a recognition of right and wrong and good and evil in everyone. In fact, in Romans chapter one, Paul says, for what can be known about God is plain because God has shown it for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power, his divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So we are without excuse. We know right and wrong. And even in the heart of Pharaoh's daughter, who surely knew uh, what her father had commanded, she has pity on this baby. She knows it's a Hebrew child that he should be thrown back into the river. But, but her conscience won't let her. She has pity on him and she takes him in. 
friends, there's, there's very similar things happening in our culture, right? I mean, I don't even have to work very hard to draw this comparison. But when you look at, at the, the scourge of abortion in our country, now, if you've been affected by that, listen, my heart goes out to you, and I'm so sorry. And I would imagine that you maybe even feel some of that, that guilt because you know right and wrong in your heart. Because it is wrong. But God is a great God. Jesus is a great Savior, and he forgives all who would turn to him and repent. And there's hope for you, okay? So even in the midst of saying that, if that stirs up wounds, there is hope. I want to make sure and put a bandage on that too. Trust Jesus. Amen. But, but God has put that conscience into the heart of everyone, especially towards the vulnerable. When his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, or then his sister, excuse me, said to Pharaoh's daughter, talk about a brave little girl. If you're ever worried that you're too old or too young for God to ever do anything through you, you are so wrong. It doesn't matter your age. It matters will you, will you obey and trust him. Uh, he, he, this little girl goes to Pharaoh's daughter. She goes, should I go and call for you a nurse from the Hebrew women to nurse the child for you? Do you think she was afraid? I guarantee she was afraid. Guarantee it. There's no doubt. And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, her name is Miriam, by the way, we find out later, go. So the girl went and called the child's mother. And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, to Moses' mother, take this child away and nurse him for me, and I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him. Wow, this is incredible. Don't miss this, right? Here's Moses' mother. Uh, she, she loves her newborn son. She surely can't give him up to be thrown into the river. She hides him. And then by faith, she just says, God, I just got to trust you with this. She puts him in the basket, puts him in the reeds. Can you imagine how much she cried after that? Can you imagine how much she prayed after that? How much she wept? And then what happens? God blesses her, blesses her obedience. And what's he do? He gives her back her own son to nurse and care for. And not only that, she's going to get paid to be a stay-at-home mom. How's that? What a bargain. Our God's a good God. And he blesses those who trust him and who obey him. When the child grew older, but again, here's another swing of emotions, I'm sure, for his mom. She brought him to Pharaoh's daughter and he became her son. She named him Moses. Because, she said, Pharaoh's daughter said, I drew him out of the water. His name in Hebrew would be Moshe. And it just means to draw out. So that was his name, because she drew him out of the water. In the face of affliction, trust Jesus, because he's always working a plan. I wonder, are you facing affliction of some sort? Trust Jesus, he's working a plan. He was working a plan here to have Moses be okay. And Moses is going to turn into the one who delivers God's people. It's incredible. You may, you, you may be in the face of affliction and question, why would God allow this to happen to me? Why, would, why doesn't God do something about this? Church father Augustine of Hippo wrote this. He goes, for whatever reason, God judged it better to bring good out of evil than not to permit any evil to exist. 
When you're facing a trial, remember that God's, remember God's goodness in the past and that he can be trusted then for the future. So even in the face of evil, I remember either his goodness to me personally or his goodness in this case to Moses' mom. And I can trust him then for his goodness tomorrow. Every time God says, remember, it's with view to the present and the future. Trust him. Remember him. In fact, Isaiah wrote, remember this and stand firm. Recall it to mind, you transgressors. Remember the former things of old. God says, for I am God. There is no other. I am God. There is none like me. Declaring the end from the beginning, from the ancient things that are not, from, from, from ancient things not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand and I will accomplish my purpose. Calling a bird of prey from the east, the man of my counsel from a far country, I have spoken and it will, I will bring it to pass. I have purposed and I will do it. God is working a plan. And you may not see it, you may not understand it. You may not get it in this side of heaven, but that doesn't mean you can't trust him. Job wrote, uh, one of the most afflicted men in all of history, and one who never found out all the reasons for everything that happened to him, by the way. Do you know that? At least not on this earth he didn't. He said, I know, saying to God, you can do all things, and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. And you're thinking, yeah, but can't he hurry up and like work his plan? Well, Peter writes, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but he's patient toward you. He's patient, not willing that any should perish. Proverbs 16, four, the Lord has made everything for its purpose, even the wicked for the day of trouble. He has a plan and he's working it. And in this case, the plan is Moses. So we see Moses. Moses is just a baby still at this point. But I wanna stop here for a second and draw some comparisons between Moses and Jesus. Because I've told you the Exodus ultimately points forward to Jesus, right? Moses points forward to Jesus too. Did you know uh, that Moses and Jesus have some uh, unmistakable and unbelievably striking similarities. Did you know that? Have you ever taken time to think through these? Um, for example, I'm just gonna read through a handful of these. I've got a bunch listed out. Uh, Moses was born under affliction in a foreign land. Jesus was born under affliction in a foreign place. Uh, there was an edict to kill Moses as a baby. Throw him in the river. There was an edict to kill baby Jesus as well. Uh, Jesus, or Moses was miraculously rescued in the Nile. Jesus was miraculously rescued by an angel's revelation to his adopted daddy, Joe, to take him to Egypt and get out of this land. Uh, Moses was the adopted son of a king. Jesus is the son of the most high. Moses was raised, raised by adoptive parents. Jesus was raised by an adoptive dad. Uh, J- Moses was raised, <coughs> excuse me, in Egypt. Jesus flees to Egypt with his parents as a young boy, and he he likely spends most of his childhood in Egypt. Moses would have been trained at at some of the greatest schools underneath because he was the adopted son of the Pharaoh. Jesus, most scholars think, was likely while he was in Egypt, trained uh, and, and learned how to read and write while he was in Egypt. The list goes on and on. Uh, Moses says, let my people go. Jesus says, I've come to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and, the, to the, and to set the oppressed free. Moses sees suffering and takes action. Jesus takes action in the face of suffering. Moses spends 40 years as a shepherd. Jesus is the good shepherd. Moses spends 40 years in the wilderness. Jesus spends 40 years in the desert in the wilderness being tempted. Should I keep going? Moses is known for his meekness. Jesus is known for his meekness. They're both descendants of Abraham. They're both rejected by their people. They're both often honored by many people. Uh, 
Moses is questioned by Pharaoh. Jesus is questioned by Pontius Pilate. Uh, they both performed miracles. Moses provided bread in the wilderness. Jesus provide, take bread and provided food for 5,000 people and their wives and kids. Moses receives and teaches the law. Jesus teaches, Jesus teaches expands, and fulfills the law. Uh, Moses often met privately and personally with God. Jesus meets privately and personally with God. Moses is the leader of Israel. Jesus is the head of the church. Moses' face shone with God's glory after he met him face to face. Jesus' face shone with God's glory on the Mount of Transfiguration. Moses is the greatest of all the prophets in the Old Testament. Jesus is the greatest prophet, bar none. Moses prophesied of Jesus. Jesus taught the Old Testament all pointing to himself. And the list is even greater. In fact, I have these printed out. If you want to grab one, they're on the Connect desk on your way out. You can have one. But here's what I want you to see. All of this points forward to Jesus, and Jesus is a greater Moses. In fact, Moses himself said this, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, speaking of Jesus, and it's to him you shall listen. The Exodus is about Jesus, so in the face of affliction, we can trust Jesus because he's always working his plan, by the way, even in our failure. See, for all the ways that Moses was like Jesus, there's, a very, there's some very striking ways in which he is not at all like Jesus, specifically in his sin. Moses had a major anger issue. We're gonna see that as we go through. He had, a, he had quite the temper. Um, in fact, that temper led him, as we're gonna see here in a moment, to become a murderer. Let's keep reading in Exodus chapter two, verse 11. One day when Moses had grown up, he went out to his people. He looked at their burdens and he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people. He looked this way and that seeing no one, he struck down the Egyptian and hit him in the sand. When he went out the next day, behold, two Hebrews were struggling together. And he said to the man in the wrong, why do you strike your companion? And he answered, who made you a prince and judge over us? Do you mean to kill me like you killed the Egyptian? And Moses was afraid. He thought, surely the thing is known. When Pharaoh heard of it, he sought to kill Moses, but Moses fled from Pharaoh and stayed in the land of Midian. And he sat down by a well. Friends, Moses had failed. And he had failed terribly. He had become a murderer. How would God use him now? In spite of his sin spite of the ways he messed up. Peter had that experience. He denied Jesus three times, had to wonder, how will God use me now? You ever felt that? You need to know that you can trust Jesus in affliction, even if it's affliction you've brought on yourself and your sin, and that God is working a plan. And that as you trust him, he will work his plan, even in spite of your failure. That's why it's called good news. Because it's not about you. It's about Jesus. See, uh, somebody said this, and I don't know who said it, so if you know, you can tell me and I'll credit them. But uh, they, they said, your setback then can become God's set up. If you trust Jesus. If you follow through in repentance. Your setback can become God's set up. 
And we're going to see that that's exactly what happens with Moses because Paul tells us, uh, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. Those who love him includes those who fail in their love for him and do horrendous things. God can still rescue and he does. Amen? Look at verse 16. Now the priest of Midian, uh, Moses sat down by a well and he's in the land of Midian. The priest of Midian uh, had seven daughters and they came and drew water and filled troughs to water their father's flock, meaning he probably had no sons because his daughters are all taking care of the flock. The shepherds came and drove them away from this well. But Moses stood up and saved them and watered their flock. Chivalry's not dead, right? Uh, here's all, these, all these, these girls of the priest of Midian come. Do you get the picture? Moses is sitting by this well after having run from Pharaoh in his shame. And he's sitting by the well trying to get away from consequence. And he's sitting there and uh, these girls come and they're watering their flocks. The other shepherds come, drive them away because they're women. And uh, Moses chases all these men away. The shepherds, but Moses stood up and saved them. And then he watered their flocks. Well, when they came home to their father, Ruel, or is called Jethro, other places, Jethro said, how is it that you've come home so soon today? I know how this goes. You go, they chase you away. You got to wait for them to water their flock. Then finally you can go in and water your flocks. How'd you make it home so quick today? Remember, Jethro has no sons, just seven daughters. And they said, there was an Egyptian who delivered us out of the hand of the shepherds, even drew water for us and watered the flock. If you're Jethro, you have seven daughters and you find out there was this guy all alone by the well who rescued your daughters, what are you gonna say? Where is he? Then where is he? Why, why did you leave that man? Call him that he may eat bread. Go get that, go get that boy, right? Forget all the ones who are playing video games in their parents' basement, get that one. <laughs> That's the one you want, right? You see that? That's what he's saying. Call him that he may eat bread. And so they do, they go get him and Moses was content to dwell with the man and he gave Moses his daughter Zipporah. She gave birth to a son. He called his name Gershom, for he said, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. See, um, this is God's setup for what's gonna happen. Moses and his failure ran, but God miraculously still had a plan that he was working in the midst of his failure. Whatever your failure, if you trust Jesus, repent, turn to him. He's still working a plan. And it may, it may not come out the way you think it should or maybe exactly the same, but listen, he is working. Trust him. Psalm 119.71, it's good for me that I was afflicted that I might learn your statutes. In the face of affliction, trust Jesus. He's always working his plan, even in our failure. And finally, last but not least, even in our waiting. We saw these three verses last Sunday, but this, let's close this chapter and this morning by reading them again. During those many days, the king of Egypt died and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. There, there was about 40 years that Moses was gone. Moses was about 40. He was about my age when he murdered the man and fled into the wilderness. 
And uh, then he's there for 40 years. He's about 80 before uh, Jesus shows up to him in the burning bush, as we'll see next Sunday. And during those many days, the king of Egypt died and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God and God heard their groaning and God remembered his covenant with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. God saw the people of Israel and God knew. Maybe the affliction you're facing is simply waiting, waiting for God to act waiting for him to change something. Eugene Peterson, a pastor who wrote a paraphrase of the Bible called The Message for His Church, says the person who looks for quick results in the seed planting of well-doing will be disappointed. If I want potatoes for dinner tomorrow, it will do me little good to go out and plant potatoes in my garden tonight. There are long stretches of darkness and invisibility and silence that separate planting and reaping. During the stretches of waiting, there is cultivating and weeding and nurturing and planting still other seeds. If you're waiting, trust Jesus and keep waiting. Keep waiting, trust him. He's still working, even in your waiting. You know, a tree that goes dormant over the winter is still alive. Even though there's no fruit on it, even though there's no leaves on it, it's still living and it's just waiting for life. The the evidence of life, I should say, to return. Keep trusting Jesus, keep waiting. He's still working. Charles Spurgeon said, when you cannot trace his hand, trust his heart. The psalmist says this many times, wait for the Lord, be strong, let your heart take courage, wait for the Lord. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep, Psalm 121. Psalm 62 is one of my favorite psalms on this topic. It says in verse five, for God alone, oh my God, oh my soul, wait in silence for my hope is from him. Friends, in the face of affliction, whatever it is you're facing, trust Jesus because he's working a plan even in your failure and even while you're waiting. Let's pray. Father, thanks for Jesus. Jesus, thank you that we can trust you. Thank you that um, even while we face various afflictions, some that are small, some that are great, some that uh, we've not asked for, but that have just happened to us seemingly without reason and even those that uh, we in our foolishness and sinfulness have made choices that have brought them on ourselves, Help us to trust you because you're working and your plans cannot be thwarted. We saw that with, with Moses. We saw it even in Moses' failure, you were still working a plan and we're gonna see that as we keep going forward. And Jesus, for those who have failed, uh, help them to trust you and to keep trusting you. For those who are waiting, and maybe it's the same group, waiting for you to act, waiting for you to fully deliver and to free, help them to keep trusting and to keep waiting. Jesus, you're good. Your love endures forever. You uh, never lose sight of us. You see and you know, and we can trust you. It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.